chapter 18, verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic, and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men, and David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. Saul said to David, Here's my older daughter Merab. I will give her to you in marriage. Only serve me bravely and fight the battles of the Lord. For Saul said to himself, I will not raise a hand against him. Let the Philistines do that. But David said to Saul, Who am I? And what is my family or my clan in Israel that I should become the king's son-in-law? So when the time came for Merab, Saul's daughter, to be given to David, she was given in marriage to Adriel of Mehlah. Moving on to chapter 19, verse 1. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David, but Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him, My father Saul was looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. So Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul, and David was with Saul as before. Once more, war broke out, and David went out and fought the Philistine. He struck them with such force that they fled before him. But an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with a spear in his hand. While David was playing the lyre, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with a spear, but David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. Moving on to verse 18. When David had fled and made his escape, he went to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. Then he and Samuel went to Naoth and stayed there. Word came to Saul, David is in Naoth at Ramah, so he sent men to capture him. 
But when they saw a group of prophets prophesying, with Samuel standing there as their leader, the Spirit of God came on Saul's men, and they also prophesied. Saul was told about it, and he sent more men, and they prophesied too. Saul sent men a third time, and they also prophesied. Finally, he himself left for Ramah and went to the great cistern at Seku, and he asked, Where are Samuel and David? Over in Naoth at Ramah, they said. So Saul went to Naoth at Ramah, but the Spirit of God came even on him, and he walked along prophesying until he came to Naoth. He stripped off his garments, and he too prophesied in Samuel's presence. He lay naked all that day and all that night. This is why people say, Is Saul also among the prophets? This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thanks very much, Jeff, for reading and us for praying. Yeah, it's a long uh, passage, and we only read about half of it. Like I said last week, we are uh, yeah, doing 1 Samuel in big chunks. I hope you've been reading along. I want to read enough that we can follow the sermon, but uh, yeah, we can't read everything. So do read along. Next week is chapter 20, uh, just one chapter, and then after that is three chapters a week. But uh, yeah, it's a great passage, though. If you don't know the book of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, it's the story of David, who is Israel's greatest king in the Old Testament. It's about a thousand years before Jesus is when it all takes place, and it has a lot to teach us. I hear a kind of buzzing noise. I don't know what it is. Maybe just a fan. All right. (laughs) But... uh, you may think, uh, 1 Samuel, this is going to be very different from Romans last week. Though actually, I think the two passages you know, fit really well together. Because we're talking about you know, what can we expect in life now. Uh, Easter, Jesus rose from the dead. Right? The world has been changed. Well, how much has it changed? What change can we expect? We saw last week, of course, deep inside us, you know, we've been made alive and We've been set free from sin. But that's spiritually. How about physically? What can we expect for life now? I mean, if you talk to people, you know, uh, I'm a Christian. You know, before I was a Christian, my life was like this. And then I met Jesus, and now my life is like that. I mean, how much has it changed? Is that something you, you know, you enjoy telling? Or do you almost feel, well, actually my life isn't that great. It's not especially attractive. I mean, what should we expect now? Expectations are very important. Um, this afternoon, I'm getting my second uh, COVID jab, and so I'm prepared to spend some time in bed tomorrow. I've heard it's gonna, it, it can be quite bad. <laughs> now, it's helpful to know that, right? If I think it's going to be absolutely fine, and suddenly it does affect me, then I wonder, something's gone wrong. Well, maybe this is just normal. Nothing's wrong. This is just what you should expect. Well, that's what we're going to talk about. This, uh, These chapters are going to tell us a lot about what we should expect in the Christian life. Not not everything, but a big piece of the puzzle. Now, as you heard, we start in chapter 18, because two years ago we did 1 Samuel 1 to 17. Uh, And so we're basically continuing. The only thing is, if you're in a movie and you start halfway, you, you, you need to know what the previous half was, right, to make the most of it. So I want to just set the context so that we hear this passage rightly because its message is very much related to, well, what we've seen before. And the big message in 1 to 17, well, 
the king is here. The king is here. Finally, the king is here. Well, Samuel, as you know, comes out of the book of Judges. I don't know if you've read the book of Judges. It's a mess, right? Uh, hundreds of years of civil war and idolatry and injustice and immorality. And it's a terrible place, uh, Israel. And then because of all their sin, God sends enemies to attack them. And so they're constantly under foreign oppression. You know, hundreds of years of foreign oppression and sin. And you can imagine that refrain in the book of Judges. Yeah, there was no king. We need a king. And then you read on into Samuel. It starts with uh, Hannah, the mother of Samuel, praying. And, you know, her big prayer, Lord, please send a king. May you give strength to your king. And they want a king to save them. A king to get rid of the Philistines. A king to make the people love God again. A king to make everything right. That's what they want. Well, that poem is there at the start. Because one Samuel is about the coming of the king. But, but who is he? You know, first comes Samuel, but actually he's just a prophet and a judge. Uh, but he anoints Saul. Saul is the next king. Uh, the, actually, the first king of Israel. Uh, you've uh, heard him here in the reading. You know, he was, a, he was the first king. He just wasn't the best king. He was faithless, disobedient. And, well, God rejected him. God told him, your kingdom is going to be taken away from you. You're not going to be king anymore. I'm going to find a new king. A man after my own heart. Well, the next chapter we meet him, David. David is still a young shepherd boy, but he gets anointed as king and the spirit comes upon him and he gets a job in the palace. And, well, is he really the king? Well, chapter 17 is famous. David and Goliath. I mean, we've all heard that story, right? How the little shepherd boy beats this huge giant Philistine who is kind of one and a half times my height. He was tall and strong, and David, with his sling, beats the giant. And this was the big Philistine warrior, and all the Philistines flee away, and all the Israelites are rejoicing, because here is finally someone who can defeat the Philistines. The king is here. That's the big message, right? The king is here. How exciting. After hundreds of years, finally, the king is here. And that feeling of joy, that, I mean, that was for Israel, but the same feeling as the Gospels, right? Uh, thousands of years, the world has been suffering. But then, yeah, it's Christmas and the angels are singing. Yay, yeah, right? The, the Savior has been born uh, in the town of David. And later when Jesus does his miracles and healings and everyone can see him. And Hosanna, right? The king is here. And, and you can see how that fits with us, right? Because Jesus has come. And if you're a Christian, well, that same Jesus has come into your life, Right? He's your king. He's in you. He's the king of the universe who rules all your circumstances, who rules the world. Well, the king is here. What happens in the next chapter? And in chapter 18, well, we get the king provoking two responses. We see two responses. People respond to this king. And if you have heard chapter 18... Uh, You can see a lot of love, right? Jonathan loves David. The people love David. Michal, Saul's daughter, loves David. But also, well, fear, hatred by Saul. And those two responses we're going to look at. Um, First, well, love. 18 verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. And he loved him as himself. 
Of course, they're good friends, but what kind of love? Let, let's read on. Verse 3, and Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. That seems rather weird. Why is Jonathan giving all this stuff to David? I mean, was David cold? Uh, well, you need to remember who Jonathan really is. Jonathan is the crown prince, right? He's the son of the king. If Saul has a heart attack, Jonathan is the next king. But he meets David. He sees David beat the Philistine, and he takes his robe and his weapons and gives it to David. What is he saying? Well, you should be the king. You are the king. It's loyalty. This covenant, I'm, I'm going to be loyal to you. I mean, think about Queen Victoria, dressed like this. You now she's sitting on her throne. And then someone else comes into the room. And the queen, she takes off this huge robe, gives it to this person. I mean, it says something, right? That, that says, okay, I'm, I'm, I shouldn't be king. You should be king. That is what Jonathan is doing. That is what love here means, right? Being loyal to a king. I mean, I don't know, but what do you think it means to love the Lord your God? Love can mean all kinds of things, right? There's romantic love. Oh, I'm so in love. I mean, that's not loving the Lord your God. I mean, I love sushi. Again, that's not loving the Lord your God. No, it's loyalty to the king. You're the king, and I need you, and I'll submit to you, right? Loyalty to a king. That is what Jonathan, yeah, he loves David. And the people, they, they see David fight the battles. They, they love him. They recognize him, right? Love. But then there's also Saul, and Saul, well, he has a different reaction. Yeah, the, the people come back from battle, and the women dance and sing, and, well, they sing this song, verse 7. Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. It's just Hebrew poetry, but Saul doesn't like it, right? Verse 8, Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? Right? Who is David for Saul? He's a rival. He's a threat. Here is a guy. Uh, he, they love him more than me. You know, he beats tens of thousands. He's going to be the next king. I mean, he knows his days are numbered. He knows that what God said to him, I'm going to find a better king. David is a threat. And so, well, he keeps an eye on David and he tries to kill David. I mean, in the beginning, sometimes he throws his spear. I mean, he had, you know, some mental spirit problems. But later, right, he, he's scheming. You know, uh, David, uh, you can marry my daughter as long as you kill this many Philistines, hoping that he will fall in battle. It's a te technique that David himself used later. But, yeah, he tries to get David killed. David is a threat, and he wants to eliminate the threat. Right? So fear and hatred. And all of chapter 18, yeah, the people loved him, but Saul was afraid of him, and, and his daughter loved him, and, but Saul was afraid. Love and hate. And the thing is, actually, they're very similar responses. Very similar. Why? Because they both recognize the king. In both cases, they see this guy, well, he's a king, right? He is going to be the next king. When David was just a shepherd, no one cared about him because he was just a shepherd, right? But now he's the giant killer. 
Now he's the one that ever, he's, gonna, he's the king. And that's why, well, he gets these two big responses. You can't ignore him. I mean, love it or hate it, I don't know what you think of. I mean, Star Wars, some people love it, some people hate it. But the thing is, Star Wars is not really this, right? Because Star Wars you can ignore. <laughs> who cares about it? But, you know, if you're a U.S. citizen, who is your president? That's going to have such a big impact on your life, right? And so either you love the guy or you hate the guy, but you can't ignore him. You can't really be neutral because it is such a big effect on your life. And that's the thing here, right? You can't ignore David anymore. He is here, he's on the scene, and he provokes this big response. And it's the same with Jesus, right? Jesus, okay, when he was just a little baby, you could ignore him. But he's now the king of the universe, right? He's the king who rules everything, the king who died in love for our sins. You can't ignore him. Either you think, wow, Jesus, yes, I need you, and you've done all this for me, uh, I want to submit to you as my king. Or he's a threat because you want to live your life your way, and you don't want Jesus to rule your life. But he's either, well, he's your king or your threat, but right? there's no neutrality. Now, many, things, many people say, well, of course, well, all the people around me, they're just indifferent to Jesus. Oh yeah, that's because they haven't seen who he is. They think he's just a good teacher from 2,000 years ago. Yeah, good teachers from 2,000, you you can ignore. But you can't ignore the king of the universe. And when people get to know him, that's when they respond. I mean, I I don't know how you've responded. I I hope we're all, most of us are Christians, that we've, you know, we've taken, yeah, Jesus, we, we love him and we know how wonderful he is. But others here, maybe, well, you, you don't like Jesus. And you come along here because you... But actually, Jesus is a threat. There can only be one king. And if he's the king, then you're not. I, I hope you see that. Quite often, you know, I preach, and then afterwards, someone comes and says, oh, that was a nice sermon, thank you. And then my heart always sings, because they haven't gotten who Jesus is yet. No you're going to get a polarized response, a divided response. Jesus is the king and people love him or hate him. It's really good to know. Um, You know, you want to tell people the gospel. What response are you going to get? Uh, We hope people love Jesus, but often we're afraid that people will reject him. And we think, oh, we've done something wrong because they, they don't want Jesus. Well, no, if you've explained Jesus clearly, some people don't want him. They don't want him as king. You haven't done anything wrong. When they still think he's a good teacher from 2000, that's when you've done something wrong. That's when they haven't yet seen who he is. Our job is just to make clear who Jesus is, and then some people will love him by God's grace. Some people will still reject him. We shouldn't be afraid of that. That's just who Jesus is. That's what it means. If he's the king... That's the response. But that's only the first part. Here comes Jesus, David, and people love him or hate him. He provokes this response. But as you've seen, this response has big consequences. Because Saul tries to then, well, he's already been trying to kill David unnoticed. But now it's going public, right? 19 verse 1. Saul told his son Jonathan, 
and all the attendants to kill David. And then no more hiding, just, uh, hey, everyone who works for me, go and kill David. Right? <laughs> Here's the king, and then go and kill him. I mean, what an order, right? And we get four stories in chapter 19 all about you know, Saul, Saul trying to get David, and David well, running away, right? He is no longer the hero. He's now a fugitive. He's no longer the commander of the armies. He's running away. And that shows us something. This chapter is supposed to teach us, well, God's king will suffer. Because people hate him, God's king will suffer. Uh, we heard some of the stories. You know, first he goes and hides, but thankfully his friend Jonathan, he speaks up for him. Hey, Dad, look, David, he beat the Philistine. He's a good guy. He hasn't done anything wrong. Okay, Saul says, oh, I'll swear. I won't put him to death. He can come back. Well, David's back. But, you know, a few days later, again, Saul throws his spear, and now David knows it. Okay, I'm just going to run away. And so he goes home to his wife, but his wife is Saul's daughter. So Saul knows where he lives, right? And Saul sends again soldiers to capture him. I mean, he needs to escape. His wife lets him down through the window at night so he can run away. Then she buys him some extra time. It's a funny story. Uh, but, yeah, he runs away again, and he goes to Samuel in somewhere else, in Ramah. But again, yeah, uh, Saul gets it. Uh, verse 19 of chapter 19, word came to Saul. David is in Naioth at Ramah, so he sent men to capture him. Right? Every story... Saul trying to get David, trying to kill David, and David is on the run. Now, my question is, is that what you expected? You know, you've been reading this book. You come out of Judges, you come into Samuel, and here is the king. Is this what you expected? That he runs away again. He beats Goliath, and he runs away again, right? This should be a shock. Hundreds of years we've been waiting for the king, and now he's here, and he runs away again. I thought he was going to make everything right. You mean he's here, he's in the palace, he's killed our greatest enemy. But he runs away. I, I, I don't know, maybe we don't feel it, because we, we haven't read through the whole book. But just, you know, imagine this, this, this woman in her 40s, and she just longs to be married. Uh, for 25 years, she's been trying to find the right man, and you know she's been dating, but it's very hard to find the right person. And of course, there's some non-Christians who want to go out with her, but no, I'm going to be faithful, I'm not going to do that, and but just suffering. And she wants to be married, and and finally one day she meets Mr. Wright, and, and he's godly, and he's handsome, and you know, they they get on so well. Really, they were made for each other. And, you know, she, after a few months, he asks her, will you marry me? And then and they planned a wedding. And, you know, she wears this beautiful dress on the day. And she comes into the church and he stands there at the altar. And, you know, he can just, she can see that he thinks she's stunning. And she smiles and he smiles. And oh, this is the best day of my life. And, and, and then she walks halfway through the aisle. And then there's a siren outside, woo, and the guy legs out of the building, and he's gone. And she just feels, no, not, why now? I, I, I thought this was it, and it's not. I, that, that's the feeling we should have. This, God's king is here, but he's gone again. 
was not supposed to happen this way. Except that God is teaching, no, this is what it's going to be. God's king will come, but people will hate him and he will suffer. And this is not it yet. The kingdom is not yet. We see that with Jesus, right? Exactly the same pattern. God is this teaching that this is going to be the pattern because, you know, Jesus, he's born and everyone's singing and rejoicing, but there's Herod. Herod hates Jesus, the next king, so he wants to get Jesus killed and, and Jesus has to flee for his life. Uh, 30 years later, he does all these miracles and all the crowds love him. Hosanna, here comes the kingdom. No, there's the Pharisees and they arrest him and they crucify him. Still not. And Jesus rises from the dead. Are you now going to sit in the kingdom? No, no, I'm going to go away again. The kingdom is not yet. Nothing's wrong. This is what is supposed to happen. God's king will suffer and the kingdom, well, not yet. We need to wait. That's the big lesson. The king is here. The kingdom is not yet. That's what we should get from here. And that's, yeah. I think that's an important lesson. Just to say the kingdom is not, not yet. It will come. I mean, God doesn't want to leave us without any doubt about that. You know, one day it will come. And 20 years later, David will become king. And we get a sneak preview here, actually. You know, God is saying, look, he will come. He will. Because at the end of chapter 19, that last story, well, God intervenes, right? Saul is trying to get David. But, uh, you know, the, they come along all these prophets and the spirit of the Lord falls on Saul's men and they, they start prophesying. I don't know, some kind of ecstatic. I have no idea what's... But, you know, they try to kill David, but God says no, right? Spirit of the Lord overpowers these people and Saul sends more men and the spirit of the Lord comes on them. And Saul sends more men and the spirit of the Lord comes on them. Clearly, God is not going to let David get caught. David's going to rule. Uh, finally, Saul comes himself, right? He, you know, if you want a job done properly, do it yourself. So Saul goes, and what happens to him? Well, we, we heard it, right? Uh, he himself left for Ramah, went to the great cistern. Saul went to Naioth, but the Spirit of God came even on him. And he walked along prophesying until he came to Naioth. He stripped off his garments, and he too prophesied in Samuel's presence. He lay naked all that day and all that night. Right? God says, uh-uh. No, David's going to rule. And, and Saul hates him, tries to kill him, but he will not succeed. The kingdom will come one day. That's actually an important thing, right? Did you notice the, the link between the start and end of this section? And there's something that Jonathan and Saul have in common here, right? What do they have in common? Stripping. They both lose their rope. I mean, there, there, there's two things, right? And here is someone who loves David and he gives his robe voluntarily. You're the king. Saul doesn't want to do that, but at the end, he's lost his royal robe as well. David will be king. And same with Jesus. Jesus will be king and every knee will bow before him. Some people they see it now, they bow now. Other people, well, they will bow one day when he returns. I think that's a good question. If you're not a Christian, who are you going to be? Are you going to be Jonathan or Saul? Are you going to, you know, accept Jesus now? He's the king. 
or are you going to keep rebelling? If you come back to him, he loves you and he died for you and he forgives you and he welcomes you and you can follow him and be safe and be with him forever. But if you reject him, you're not going to win. You're not going to win. But like I said, that's later. That's at the end of this book. Uh, one day David will win, Saul will lose. See, we get a little sneak preview. The kingdom will come one day, but it's not yet. The kingdom is not yet. And I think that is such an important message for life now, right? Jesus is raised, but he's gone, and he will come back later. The kingdom is not yet. I mean, spiritually, yes. Spiritually, God is at work. He's changing us. He's calling people to himself. But physically, the kingdom is not yet. And so, yeah, because people hate him, right? If everyone in the world loved Jesus, and as soon as they heard of Jesus, they repented and believed, the world would be such a much better place, right? But that's just not the case. People hate him. There are some world leaders who really hate him, and they make life very difficult for Christians. As long as there's hatred of Jesus, the world is not going to be perfect. And even in, in myself, right? You know, I, I see my sinful nature. Yes, deep inside I love Jesus, but I have this sinful nature that still doesn't want him. And so my life is a mess, just like the world is a mess. Right? Satan, he's been defeated, but he's still, he's not on the lake of fire yet. He's still alive and kicking. The kingdom is just not yet. That's an important point. Now, many of us, we know that. Okay? We, we kind of know that. I think it's amazing how the Old Testament points to that again and again and again. But I know many Christians, they still struggle with that, right? They think, look, Jesus is in my life, and so my life should be happy and good, and everything should go well, and I should be healthy, and, and then that's not the case. And then I just think, what's wrong? What's wrong? No. There's nothing wrong. The kingdom is not yet. Yeah, so don't be disillusioned. Don't be disillusioned. We're waiting, yes, but it's not yet. Jesus comes into your life and he starts changing things, but, you know, your, 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 your sin and your sickness and, you know, your, your marriage problems and the pandemic, they don't go away immediately. They don't. Don't be disillusioned. It's just not so straightforward. Yes, some things are getting better, right? He's dealing with your sin. And, you know, if you come to a place where no one is a slave to sin and everyone <laughs> tries to love like Jesus, it, life is a bit better. And if we love the people around us, yeah, the world gets a little bit better, but sickness will be there, death will be there. Many people here in the church are suffering. I know, you know, family members in hospital, you yourself in, you know, struggling with, you know, disability and illness, and you wonder what's wrong. Now, the kingdom is not yet. The king is here, yes, but we need to wait for the kingdom. There, there's a reason, right? There's a reason Jesus suffered. He had to die for our sins. There's a reason Jesus hasn't come back yet because more people need to hear about him. We just need to wait. The kingdom is not yet. Don't be disillusioned. And, and if you get that, let me go one little step further. Also, don't be comfortable. Right? Many of us, yeah, we, we, of course, we know some things we can't stop, but for the rest, we want to have as good a life as possible, as comfortable as possible. I hope you see that that is not the time yet. The time now is, well, the time of suffering. And so maybe God wants us to, to be like Jesus, 
At Jesus, of course, he could have stayed in heaven, but he chose to suffer for the salvation of others. If we know that the kingdom's not here yet, if we know that there's a delay, if we know, yeah, it will come, we'll be with him forever, but right now, well, let, let's give our time, our energy to the gospel. Maybe especially what we thought about earlier, telling people about Jesus. That, that is uncomfortable, right? Because that hatred of Jesus, it might come to you. And you tell people about Jesus and they, they, might, they might not like that and they might insult you and, and those kind of things. And so we keep quiet. No, this is not the time to be comfortable. It's the time where people still hate Jesus and let's talk about him so people can respond to him. And if they think he's just a carpenter and a good teacher, they won't put their trust in him. They need to hear. Well, we can do that. And that sounds tough, but, but it's just waiting, right? The kingdom will come one day. We know Jesus died. He paid for all our sin. He rose from the dead. We know he will come back. We just need to wait. Well, let's take some time to reflect. Just a few minutes thinking about this. And then I'll pray and we'll sing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that your king has come. The king that we didn't deserve. The king of love who died for our sins and will come again to take us. Father, we pray we would be patient. Help us to wait. Help us to know what to expect, to not be disillusioned, to not be comfortable, but to wait for your king from heaven and to follow him right now here uh, in this life. Father, thank you that he will come. Thank you that our salvation is assured because Jesus died and rose. Help us to keep that in mind, to look to that as we live here in this world. Father, each of us, we, we need to hear different things. Please make these words yeah, alive in our hearts. And would we trust them and follow them? In Jesus' name. Amen.